The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 59 of Parking the Bus. It is the final night of the round of 16 in Euro 2020. We got another upset today. That's right. Once again, we get an upset, um, or at least the way we saw it was as an upset. We talked about the Ukraine versus, um, versus Sweden last night for a bit and we both thought we trusted sweden a little bit more but you know what we didn't we didn't expect a swedish player to be sent off in extra time um extra time was definitely not out of the question but once we saw a swedish player being sent off today um i think it kind of threw all the momentum in favor of the ukraine i guess we'll start with that one of course of course, the big one is that uh, that England-Germany game, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But again, unless you're playing football in the 1970s, you understand why that's a red card. You cannot come through in a tackle and get a guy with your studs above the foot. Anything from the ankle up is a direct red card. That's the way the rules are written. End of story. He comes up and nearly breaks the guy's knee. I mean, your knee is not supposed to bend backwards. It was bent at the angle. It's bent this way. It was inverted. The guy's knee inverted. That is a red card all day, every day. And especially with VAR. I mean, when you watch that in slow motion and you see the Ukrainian player's knee bend the wrong way. I mean, he's got ligament damage. There's no question. There is ligament damage in that knee. Okay, that knee was hyperextended. Okay, so I got a comment here from DJs, who's becoming one of the number one fans of this show. Uh, <laughs> he says, if that's a red card in the 90s with Maldini, the referee is going to answer. I just said, we are in 2021. We are not in the 1990s. We, we got, you sound like Steve Nichol on ESPN. Saying, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to keep his studs down. That's what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to keep control of his foot and not not dislocate his opponent's knee. End of story. So I said I would talk about this. I tweeted about it. I think that's what attracted Leo into the chat was my tweet that said I would hit on this first. I didn't say I hit it on it first thing. I should have saved it. I'm going to wait for my guest, of course, F.A., my play. He'll be here 
shortly. We'll get his take on it as well. Let's see if he agrees with me. Him and I tend to agree on just about everything. So we both got today's matches wrong. Um, and we we both got today's matches wrong. Okay. So I know Leo's in the chat. He was right. England won. I'm going to say right now England's going to the final. There's nobody in their way that should even be able to, to interrupt them at this point. Okay. I, I To me, that match was a true semifinal. Um, Denmark's a great story, and I'm going to, you know, we'll see. We'll see if they can get to the semis to face England, I think. England got even more help in the second match today with the Ukraine winning. Uh, that's a much better matchup for them, okay, much more favorable matchup than would have been uh, Sweden, in my opinion. Of course, again, if Sweden doesn't have a player sent off, we might be having a different conversation and here we go we got a message here from james makes picks he says at that spot in the match in extra time he basically gifted the ukraine the pass to advance all right i'm gonna bring in at fade my plays welcome to the show and we've already got some hot discussion going on here um i started with the red card i guess we're gonna we're gonna probably hammer this home for a little while where do you stand on it uh, well, seeing as it was my only winning bet today, you know, I, I wasn't unhappy to see it happen. Literally went 0-4 up to that point. Uh, but one of my bets is every single match day um, to have a VAR decision. And so at uh, plus 175, I feel that's a bargain any given time in this day and age. But I thought it was, you know, it's for me, it's. I'm, I guess you could call me a, a, a Stone Age type of person mm-hmm. stuck in the past, a traditionalist. But in that situation, I think you should leave it to the ref on the field because it's like you are deciding the game. And mm-hmm. in those, and again, I think when you look at it, letter of the law, it's a red. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you could go both ways, but in real time, it's questionable in slow motion. Everything looks worse than it is letter of the law. It's a red. And I don't know. It's just like, you know, the end of these basketball games, when they review uh, a call on the floor about like, you know, a charge or an offensive rebound going out of bounds, you know, off whose hand it's like taking like five minutes to review it. And then you knowing that whatever decision you make now that you've stopped the game is going to decide the game. And, and especially when you give the, it just, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a fan of let the boys play and, uh, or excuse me, let the people play. But in this situation, let the boys play, you know, give them a yellow. There it is. VAR coming in and reviewing it. I mean, you know, maybe it's possible. I'm just so conditioned now with VAR because to me that was, once I saw the replay, like, a lot of pundits, I said that that's mm-hmm. red, maybe because I'm so conditioned of these plays being reviewed. Yeah. And, and I was just starting to say that when you look at it, when you look at it um, in slow motion like that, it looks absolutely horrible. And yeah. uh, again, we see his knee bend the wrong way. That I think that ha- might have had something to do with it, too. It's the old adage um, where the injury pr- maybe affects the referee's decision a little bit. Um, yeah, but it- but again, when you when you bring those studs up and those studs make contact above the ankle, 
let like you said, letter of the law that just about always sees a red card. And referees are not supposed to take into account what time it is in the match, what what the score is, where on the pitch it happened. When it's because if it's a VAR, it is for a clear uh, red card possible or a possible red card. So he mm-hmm. went over once he looked at it, and like like you said, once you look at it in slow motion, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a red all day. Okay, James is making a few good comments here. I'm gonna show him here. He's saying. VAR has been bogus this tournament. Germany goal two versus Portugal is offside. It's not called in now this. Yeah, it's not perfect. That's for sure. He follows up. He's not happy about the knee. I don't think anyone's happy about that, but he lost the race yeah. to the ball. Contact was made a red eye. Yeah, I say it is because like you still can, you still have to be in control of, yeah. of your, your body. You can't go the and they talked about this in the post game on on ESPN FC. You just because you get the ball first nowadays no longer means you can follow through and get everything else as well. Hmm. If the studs are not pointing up, uh, that's not a red card. That's at the end of the day what got him sent off, and yeah, it changes the game, of course. Yeah, I I agree, and it's you know it's one of those things where if his foot's not that high off the ground. That's never a red, but it is, you know, it, it, there's a lot of decisions that when you look at it in slow motion, again, it looks worse than it is, but this was one of those situations where it did, you know, his foot came up and it made contact directly with the knee and it affected the play. And, you know, I mean, again, it's a letter of the law. If your studs are raised in a challenge and you make contact, then, and it's deemed violent contact, then it's a red card. And that's how it has to be played. And, you know, I, again, I, no fault really of the referees, in my opinion, because it's like, mm-hmm. what are they it's supposed whole, to do? They get crucified the if they don't written, give yeah. that once everyone sees it in slow motion. And they give it and they get crucified for, you know, changing the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's an impossible call because of VAR. If we didn't have VAR, you either call it on the field or you don't. Right. And, and then as soon it's as a different that's game now, over, exactly. It's a different so, game now. You know, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that, you know, it, I, I would have given the red if I was in, you know, the fourth referee, if I was the VAR referee, I would have had to give the red. And yeah, you know, that's just, the I, case. It's like, it, it reminds me of uh, the Manchester Derby a few years ago where United came back from two nil down and then very, very late on, Aguero on the break, coming into the box, Ashley Young slide tackles, and his foot hits the ball. And because he's clearing the ball, it pops up off the ball and hits Aguero square in the leg. And it wasn't called a foul at all. They went back and looked at it, and they didn't call anything on it. And it's because his foot hit the ball and popped up. And right. in real time, I mean, it looked like a horror tackle. Like mm-hmm. I was watching it like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then you slow it down and you're like, oh, okay, he could not really have done anything about that. Whereas in this case, it's just, you know, I've just, I've just watched it again. And it's like that, you know, he did everything unfortunately wrong there. Yeah. All right. I just got a text message that's it's raining and my windows are open. I'm going to step out for one second right. if you want. Let's go to England, Germany. Start yeah. with the lineups and I'll jump right back in in about 30 Absolutely. seconds. All right. No problem whatsoever. So, yes, talking about the England, Germany game. Ah, oh, Jesus. What a game this was. Could not have been more predictable. Uh, let's start with the lineups here for England. You have Pickford, obviously, in goal. 
uh, Walker, Stones, and McGuire at the back with Luke Shaw and Kieran Trippier on the sides of them playing as wingbacks. Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice as your holding midfielders, and Buyak Saka, uh, Harry Kane, and Raheem Sterling up front. And for the Germans, you have Timo Werner heading the attack behind him, Thomas Muller and Kai Havertz. Uh, then you have Gosens and Kimmich as your wingbacks, Goretzka and Tony Cruz as your holding midfielders. Should just say midfielders because they don't hold shit. And uh, Rudiger, Hummels, and Matthias Ginter at the back. And of course, Manuel Neuer in goal. Uh, in this game, we did see you know a lot of uh, yellow cards, five of them, three for England and two for uh, the Germans. Now, in terms of substitutions, you had uh, for Germany, Werner came out, Muller, Gosens, and Ginter all came out. Uh, Serge Gnabry, Jamal Musiala, Leroy Sané, and Emre Chan coming into the game. Meanwhile, for England, only two sub- substitutions. Um, what they proved to be extremely, extremely important ones with Jordan Henderson coming on, who gives a shit, and of course, <laughs> Grealish coming on to replace Saka. Uh, so, yeah, those are the lineups, a uh, basic rundown of the game. You can sum it up in five seconds. His first half was trash. Second half was exactly, exactly what I said yesterday, is that people will tout Raheem Sterling as a good player because he gets on the end of an absolute mm-hmm. sitter that my two-month-old baby who's screaming <laughs> could have finished. And he continues to be terrible. If you watch him play the game, if you just watch him, he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He takes so many touches inside the box and does nothing with it. I cannot stand that he is starting over players like Grealish, like Sancho. Um, but he's proved the difference in now three of their four games. And, yeah. you know, you can't fault him. I thought a very, very interesting quote. Uh, my quote of the day, which is genuinely like, the most frustrating thing I've ever read in my life. So I think Gareth Southgate is an idiot. I think he's out of his depth, but he's getting the job done. So, you know, you can't really say too much, but his quote today in his post-match presser was, if I put out a lineup like that and don't win, I get fired. (laughs) It's like, that is such an insane thing to say. Like, Hey, I know that I'm not choosing what I should choose, but I'm hoping for the best and going to do it anyway. And it's just like, yeah, it worked out today because you're playing again. You know, I mean, England had their path to the final, like I, the easiest possible path. The Germans were going to be their toughest matchup, but they have zero defense. And if you can't score on the Germans, there's something wrong with you because literally everyone so far in this tournament has that they've played. Um, and I just think that, he is showing how bad he is at managing by continuing to put out this team that looks so toothless. I mean, if it weren't for, and this is the other thing. So Luke Shaw didn't even play in the first match. And Mm -hmm. then he plays in this match, makes the difference because why him and a substitution after 65 fucking minutes, Jack Grealish comes on and Jack Grealish and Luke Shaw do all the hard work to set up an absolute tap in for Raheem Sterling. Before that, no chance that was getting in. I mean, Raheem Sterling in the first half had more dives than shots. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I hate that they're continuously being rewarded for this terrible style of play. As a fan of England, it drives me the fuck insane. I want them to lose so that Southgate is fired, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So it's. I just hope that, you know, I mean, 
I don't see I don't see how they lose a game because they're going to go up against the Ukraine. They're going to do the exact same thing, sit in, and then on some, you know, one random break or once the substitution comes right. on and there's space on the field, break them down and someone will get a goal like exactly like today. And then in the final, they're either going to, in my opinion, face a Belgian squad who's all kinds of injured right now. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne might not even play in his next match right. or an Italy squad who, you know, don't get me wrong, is very good, but I don't think as good as this England team. And so mm-hmm. that'll be their biggest test, but it won't be till the final. Right. You know, I think, I think if you're an England fan, you are fully expecting right now to bring it home. Yeah, it, you can tell that they, it, a weight is off of their shoulders now getting mm. past uh, Germany. And I think the, the key was, like you said, it was Grelish coming in. And what I noticed was Sterling going to the right made all the difference in getting him out of that left channel because all he does in that left channel is dribble center, dribble center, dribble center. He had one good smack in the first couple of minutes, He and I was shocked that they didn't know he was going to do that. But he – he came from the left, he went center, and he fired one. Neuer made a nice save on it. But yep. after that, it was the same play over and over. And I think what's, as you've said, what's obvious is he's a much better player without the ball than with the ball. Yeah. He makes the right runs in space, and that's why he gets on the end of these tap-ins. But Agreed. this one, this one was – it started with him, but he didn't know what to do, so he played the ball square. Yeah. And it ended up it ended up on Grelish who who played in the overlap to to Shaw who played you know slid it across goal for for Sterling to to push it in, and mm-hmm. um, it was interesting because once he goes right, I think he on the right side he can do a little more for you because if that shot if that inside right footed shot from the left channel isn't on, he just keeps trying to do it again and again and again, and I don't know if if um, I'm assuming that Southgate made a decision to move him to the right and put Grelish on the left when when Saka came off. So yeah. it's almost like he's he's tripping over himself and and I'm talking about Southgate tripping over himself and like stumbling onto the right decisions here. Hmm. Is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, I mean and and the interesting thing is and don't get me wrong, I'm not a manager. I, you know, do not have his playing history. Mm-hmm. I don't have his managing history. Right. Um, You know, he knows football a million times better than you or I ever will. However, it's just like I find it so telling when English fans, gamblers, the pundits on ESPN, on BBC, on ITV, everyone is being like, what the fuck are you doing, Gareth? Yeah. And like even today after the match uh, in the, you know, post-match coverage on ESPN, they're like, we feel like he got more lucky than anything else. Mm -hmm. And and you you brought it up so interestingly is you know Raheem Sterling scores a sitter, and but he was out of position. Mm-hmm. He was on the left, and yeah. he was supposed to be playing on the right. And yeah. it's just like yeah, he drifted you know, into that. He yeah, drifted he, he into drifts that over into that left side, yeah. and then you know he happens to be there. But if he it, like you watch, I'm bringing up the replay like I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and if it's I like, remember right. Uh, Harry Kane is, is in position to tap that in as well, isn't he? Oh, he not just Harry Kane, but if if Sterling doesn't touch it, Kane, I mean, Kane taps mm-hmm. it in on the line. It actually might have been going on, going in even without that really? touch. Okay. And then if Kane doesn't touch it, Trippy is right behind it. So it's mm-hmm. like Sterling just, you know, 
again, goal poachers are important. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from that at all. But I just think like, they, man, they're just skating by barely doing enough. And then of course the second goal comes from, you know, Germany being forced into throwing everyone forward and they have, you know, a tragic back line and all of that. But I just, I'm, I'm not convinced by what I've seen and it seems like very few others are, but until they lose, you know, we all have to kind of shut our mouths, but I just, yeah, I can't, I can't understand why Sterling continues to be the like focal point of Mm -hmm. his offense and nothing happens until they bring in other people. Right. Yeah. And and James says here, he says, give me Grelish and Mount in the middle. These holding mids are doing nothing Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. That's uh, again, they, the pundits have talked about this too. Southgate, they they're saying he's playing scared. He's he's yeah. stacking that double holding mid. Um, Mount wasn't really fit to play today, so he had been in isolation. No. He was eligible, but not at his best. So that's why he didn't play. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we probably would have seen him in there. Um, but yeah, they they keep going back to to these decisions. And Steve McManaman said. England have a better team on the bench than they do on the pitch at the start of the match. I mean, which that's a resounding statement. Yeah. And, and I like, I haven't heard a single person, fan, pundit, anybody that honestly says, this is, this is the team, you know, Mm -hmm. this is, oh man, what, what decisions he's making? Well done. You know, like, Nobody seems to support this style of play. It's so it's so interesting that it seems like it's just blanket hate for the way that Gareth Southgate's setting up the side, mm-hmm. yet they're getting the results. So, you know, nobody can really right. say anything, but people are continuing to do so. I mean, right. there were I I counted it, I, you know, I was just going mental watching this game. Like I bet against England because I just I waited until the team sheets came out and could not believe that yet again, they're just going to sit in and let the Germans attack. You know, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. wild to me anyway, lost them. So fair enough. Again, I, my England futures are looking good, but yeah. <laughs> it's, there were two different points in the first 15 minutes in the first 10 minutes, excuse me, where the entire England 11 were behind the ball, including Harry Kane, including yeah. Saka and Sterling. And it's like, that is the easiest type of football. That's why Germany looked so dangerous in the first 15 minutes was because England was sitting so deep that right. they weren't worried about a counter at all, which is how you break down Germany. Right. And so I, I don't know. I just, again, they're winning and I can't believe that they are, but they look so trash. It could have been so different too. If Timo Werner yeah. puts away his chance and oh, then you have yeah. the sitter that, that, what uh, a surprise, Werner Thomas, missing a goal in England. Yeah, that Thomas uh, Mueller misses his his breakaway. That actually Sterling sort of set up for him on yeah. a poor back pass that went to Havertz instead of to to an England player, and then he played in Mueller, but he couldn't finish. He put it wide, and um, yeah, I, the old Thomas Mueller would have finished that. I guess you could say, um, yeah, the young it, Thomas Mueller at least. Yeah, the young, the the former, but yeah. uh, that that miss right there was it was like we said yesterday right Mm. Um, switzerland misses the penalty kick and france come down and punish them immediately that's what happened there Um, germany missed the opportunity to go level and minutes later it's two nil as they they basically do the same play again 
and they do the same overlap, same ball out to the left, comes across again. This time Harry Kane heads it in, uh, beats the offside trap, 2 nothing game set match. Wembley goes crazy uh, because you can, you can just sense the relief in oh the fans. God, yeah. uh, listening to, you know, the pregame and listening to all of the coverage leading up to the game the last couple of days, mm. it, it was obvious these England players are, and this is a good thing, are clueless to the history between England and Germany. And Southgate said he likes it that way. So while everyone else is is talking about 1996 losing on penalties or 1990 losing on penalties, one of the players is saying, I wasn't even born yet then. What what does that have to do with this? Yeah. And I think you're seeing a change in attitude in players. And you're seeing a change. We've just seen a season where it's like the teams in droughts all overcame their droughts this year. So mm. it's almost fitting – it's it's starting to look like it's going to be fitting if this is the year England win a trophy in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of – now, let's be fair. If they win this competition, they'll have played six out of seven games at Wembley. Not even yeah. in their own country. They're staying in the same city for the majority of yeah. the tournament. They will be going to Rome, which ironically, they're going to Rome and, and Italy is going to Munich, which – has me scratching my head the way they, they set up these quarterfinals. But um, yeah. they, they're going to see the Ukraine. I think that's a better matchup for them than Sweden would have been. Oh, I, 100%. Yeah, I think so. I think it, things just seem to keep going right for them in this tournament. hundred Again, like I said, I mean, they have been gifted the easiest possible. Like, if they don't win the mm-hmm. Euros, it's a yeah. massive failure because they don't have to do anything like Mm -hmm. they face the ukraine let's assume that they win that because they should destroy they should yeah let's assume it's you know a classic southgate one nil two nil victory right Mm -hmm. then who would they play after that they'd play the winner of Of denmark and denmark and uh, yeah and the czech republic of the teams left, you hey. can't ask for a better situation in a. And then let's assume they beat you know whoever comes out of that, which I assume will be Denmark. Let's assume they mm-hmm. beat Denmark, then they're facing either Belgium or Italy. Yep. And yep. like I said, Belgium has loads of injuries. Kevin De Bruyne might not be playing in the next game. He might not mm-hmm. be able to play again. Right. And you know Italy would be their toughest out, but they wouldn't have to face them until the final. Right. And they'd be at Wembley, for what it's yeah. worth. And to be at Wembley, which would be huge. Like, don't get me wrong. I I want England to do well overall, Mm -hmm. but it sucks to see like a team that could just be doing it with so much class and excitement and just Mm -hmm. like seeing them go win these games in fantastic fashion, you know, but, oh, well, I mean, it was a great second half for them and well done. And I just, yeah, I just don't, I don't get it. I do not understand the team selection, but it's working. So who am I to say anything different? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we both got this one wrong when we talked about it last night. Um, I, I expected better from Germany. I don't know why. Um, I think maybe I valued history too much. I don't know. It's possible. I just, I just am fading Gareth Southgate in my mind every time Mm -hmm. because like, what the fuck are you playing at starting? And I rate him. I do. I think he's a very, very good player. But Buyaka Saka over mm-hmm. Jaden Sancho right. and Marcus Rashford and mm-hmm. Phil Foden. Yeah. Like, are you serious? What the fuck? 
Yeah. And then you sub him off and then you start doing well. Like I just, it's like the first half they're just saying, we're not going to do anything. Don't worry. And then the second half, you know, then we'll start to think about scoring, mm-hmm. but it's just like, you know, that's such a good point. You have a better team on the bench than out there. But I mean, the idea that Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho, Mason Mount, you know, we know about with the help thing and all that mm-hmm. Jack Grealish, Marcus Rashford, all sitting on the bench in favor of Saka, mm-hmm. in favor of, you know, Sterling. Calvin Phillips and Declan Calvin Rice Phillips, yeah. as holding midfielders. Right. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ. But it's working. It's, but exactly. It's working. It is. It, it, you can't. What are you going to do about it? I mean, he he's obviously he's on a roll. And yeah. uh, he, his his situation, not so much the performances or the style, mm. but the way it's playing out is reminding me so much of Portugal four, five years ago and the way Fernando mm. Santos was just getting criticized Every every step of the way, nobody liked his selections. Nobody liked his style. Yet they continue to progress, and this is kind of reminding me of that. Just yep. in the public perception realm, not so much the football because they're playing a different brand of football. But mm. it's just every match we're all looking. Even the most neutral of fans is looking at the England team sheet every match and saying, "Ah, oh, come on!" You know, everybody's yeah. got somebody they want in there that's not in there. Well, and, and I, would, I would love to know, like, from from a genuine learning perspective, mm-hmm. why do you think that this selection is better than, you know, using any of your other players? For example, mm-hmm. use your exact same formation, your exact right. same game tactics, mm-hmm. but instead use Sancho instead of Saka. Right. Instead, use Rashford instead of Saka or mm-hmm. or put you know, Sterling in the middle and he can float around and you put Sancho and Saka on the side of that because of their pace or Sacco mm-hmm. and, or excuse me, Sancho and Rashford because of their pace and Sterling can float around in the middle, you know, cause Harry Kane, I mean, he's sitting more behind the ball than anything else. It's, sure. you know, and fair enough. Like he's doing what he needs to do, but yeah, it's just, I'd love to ask Gareth Southgate, like, why aren't you playing your best players in the, in the positions that you have, you know, I'm not saying change your formation. Just right. play the best players for those positions. Right. The only time we've seen Marcus Rashford was when he came on for Kane and played as an out-and-out striker. Which yeah, which again is game. not his, you know, <laughs> it's not his game. Yeah. And it, and in a match where they were already up, so they were just sitting deep right. and just like leaving yeah. him in no man's land. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, Harry Kane gets on the board. He misses one early, though. He has it pickpocketed oh from a That Hummel's to... clearance, though, heroic. Yeah. Was it just me, or did it not look like it took him? It took Kane an hour to to like wind up and shoot that too. I was, it just looked I was like it went in yeah. slow motion. That almost like he couldn't believe he had dribbled one. Neuer that easily, and then he's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> but yeah, then, I mean, Hummels yeah, comes think, in and, and tackles it away. I think his touch around Neuer was like uncharacteristically heavy. Like he mm-hmm. took the ball away from himself a good couple yeah. yards more than he needed to. Which allowed um, for the tackle. Yeah. But I mean, that was a great buildup as well because yeah. you have Sterling pick up the ball on the left, like you say, drive straight to the middle with four defenders around him and classic Sterling. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll just dive. I won't pick yeah. my head up. I won't look for a shot. I won't look to pass. I will literally drive into four people and then right when I get near the box, just go down. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, 
by luck, it came out to Kane on the attempted clearance. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's not Sterling's game. He's used to playing with one of the best passing teams in the world right. where all he has to do is get the final, like get the final pass final, and shoot yeah. or take it down the wing, drive into the middle where he has 12 different options because Pep Guardiola sets his team up like that. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you don't see that here. And again, he just keeps driving into trouble nonstop. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anything else you want to say about that game before we move on? The only other thing I'll say is I like I cannot be emphatic enough about this. If England do not win the Euros, it is a failure entirely because they have been set up so easily to get to the final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure now. They, the pressure just beginning for them because now they're favorites. It's a whole different Massive animal than favorite. when when you're going in as an underdog and you can rally around that. Now yeah. the other teams are the ones rallying around playing you. And especially I could see uh, the interesting one for me would be if it, if it happens, if they see Denmark in the semifinals, I think it could be interesting. Yeah. I think their talent will ultimately you know, prevail. But I think Denmark, because they are such a strong unit mm. and because they have such a good – like Switzerland, they have such a good identity in the way they yeah. play. They can – whether they're playing well or not is is less important because they all know what they need to do. And Mm. when they don't play well, they simplify and it's easy for them to do that because they don't rely so much on individual talent. It's, it's a system. It's, it's a team knowing each other. It's specific movements that they all know who's making. So when you, when things are hard, it's easier to play that way because you simplify and you just kind of play your way out of a slump. So it could be very interesting to see uh, that match. I think I'm hoping that's what we get is an England-Denmark semifinal because I think that is the most interesting matchup we could see on the road to the final at least. Yeah, and and also, you know, I don't begrudge England. Like, I don't in any way. I would never Mm -hmm. say that they're a bad team. They're a fantastic team. Um, I, I would argue they're a top five team in the world with the talent that they have. But one thing that may come into play here and isn't an excuse, but is legitimate is the fact that almost the entirety of the England squad, almost not all, but almost the entirety of the England squad plays in the Prem. And that is not only the hardest league in the world, it has the most, it has the most, um, league games in the world yeah they have three different domestic competitions in right. the league cup the fa cup um and the the other one fucking i don't care what it's called um anyway and then on top of that all of your top players play for teams yeah. that play in the you know in champions europe. league or the europa league so i can understand how these players would be gassed by the time sure. they get to the final uh i don't think that'll really affect them but i do genuinely believe like this is a team that has seen so many minutes in the last, you know, six months that mm-hmm. that that could become a wear and tear type of situation against a team where you have, you know, uh, against Denmark, most of your players are playing in 30 game seasons yeah. with very little European play and maybe mm-hmm. a domestic cup in there. So they have a lot more fresh legs. And also, like you yeah. said, the, the underdog role is fantastic. And that's why teams win so often as underdogs is yeah, because the adrenaline the push. Yeah. And those extra minutes to be like, Hey, we have a chance to take down Goliath. You know, mm-hmm. that's a real, that's a real thing. Yeah. And, and like you said about the, the fatigue in the fixture congestion, I think that's why he rotated the squad so much in the group stage 
and why he was managing minutes the way he was. It felt like a yeah. preseason, the group stage. And again, if they continue like this, it he had it right. We, we can't we can't doubt him because if everything works out, then it was his plan that that nobody understood or nobody agreed mm-hmm. with that ultimately you know came to fruition. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, they play more matches in the Premier League and they play more physical matches in the Premier League. 38 matches in Spain is not the same as 38 matches in, in England, for example. No, not at all. It's a much not. more physically demanding league. And, and uh, England has more... England has, I mean, straightforward, England has more talent top to bottom. Yeah, so I agree you with that. have, you know, the average game against the bottom of the league... It's harder, not just yeah. a gimme like it is, you know, yeah. when, when Real Madrid plays Espanol, newly newly promoted, sure. it's not the same as, you know, when Manchester City goes out and plays Burnley Norwich or City when, or, when yeah. they, you know, Fulham, who's trying to stay up. It's like they give you games and they're very mm-hmm. talented. And again, it's the most physical league in the world as well. So it's that extra tax on your body. Yeah, even the teams in the relegation zone are loaded with international players in the Premier League. So yeah. it's not like... And in Spain, it's a more technical game, which is less wearing on on the body over 38 matches. And um, you don't see the 5-6 and nil uh, results in the same volume in England, obviously, because it's harder to do that. And teams just when they when all else fails, will play you more physically. They will force you to, you know, take a beating in order to beat them. So, yeah, yeah I definitely can see that there could be some fatigue, but. It looks like he's managing. Although I think Harry Harry Kane looks just completely uh, spent, and I think a lot of it also is his his, his future is is hanging yeah. in, in balance. And I'm sure his mind is on it as much as he tries not to have it. It's hard Absolutely. to focus. Every ex player that has talked about this has said it's impossible to completely put that out of your mind uh, yeah. while you're at at a tournament. And again, I think Sterling is also. I think he's lost a lot of his explosion and that's why he's just dribbling into walls of people now and yeah. poor decision. He's relying perhaps on a, on a not so much a speed, but on a fir- a fast first step. That's not there. I would wonder, I, I had this thought today and I think it's, you know, I think it's a hot take in terms of it is very, very unlikely, but I can see a world where, City are loving seeing this good press that Sterling's getting. Mm-hmm. Because if you, again, I'm not saying he's a bad player at all. He's a very, very good player. But if you really break down his gameplay so far mm-hmm. in the tournament, it hasn't been good. However, right. because he's scoring game winners, you know, everyone's saying, God, Sterling and the yep. love is all there. And they try and move on from him, especially with Grealish coming in. And they're like, hey, let's use this moment where Sterling has all these plaudits and all these people saying how amazing he is and see what we can get for him. You know, like, because if they bring in, you know, Jack Grealish and if they bring in Harry Kane. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sterling doesn't need to be there. They have so much talent around those guys already. And Grealish can, in reality, play as a immediate replacement for Sterling. Oh, yeah, I absolutely... I, he doesn't have pace, a better one. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd take Grealish over Sterling any day of the week. And, I mean, imagine Grealish with, with that type of support around him. Mm. You know, he, he plays well at Aston Villa, but imagine him 
with a De Bruyne to give him the ball yeah. in good spaces, you know, with a Gondogan, with if Harry Kane is the striker playing, you know, that he could par- that he can look for yeah. on, sir. I mean, I think you're going to see a whole new level of Jack Rillish if he goes to. Unfortunately, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it sucks, but I think City, especially if they sign Kane, just because they yeah. haven't had a big striker in the middle right. since, you know, the Jekko and Balotelli era. Right. And when you are in the PEP system and it's about efficient passes and having your pass accuracy, mm-hmm. you know, above 85%, having a big head to get balls into or having a guy that can do extremely good hold-up play inside the box is, I mean, priceless. And Harry Kane offers that 100%. So I think they're going to be dangerous as all hell. And if other teams don't sign a couple of big players, I don't see how City don't fall behind. But Uh, you know what they won't do? Win the Champions League. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... They had as good a chance as any this year. And again, it not really a topic of the show, but they, you know, Pep gets to these finals and all right, let's, let's change the way we play. Let's, let's sit back and let's play without a striker. Let's, let's pretend it's Barcelona 2011 and just Mm. try to pass it into the goal. And yeah, you know, Chelsea were ready for that, but all right, let's move on to the, to the other match, the later one, um, which, Funny enough, the commentator Alejandro Moreno said, let's be honest, nobody was thinking about this one. This is the forgotten round of 16 <laughs> match. And my first thought was, yep, that's why you're the one commentating it. Yeah. It was, it was uh, so Sweden versus Ukraine. And I got the lineups here. I'll start with the Ukraine playing 3 5 2. George Buscan is the goalkeeper. He, he had himself a pretty good performance today. Ilya Zambrani, Sergei Krivstov, and Mikola Matienko in the back. The five in midfield, we have Alexander Karavev. We have Sergei Sorderchuk. We have Taras Stepanenko, Mikola Sharpenenko, and Alexander um, Zenchenko, who had a pretty good match today. Yes, <laughs> I would say so. He had, had a pretty day good. Day. He had a really good day today. I mean, if you and think then, about the city players yeah. today, Sevchenko, Harry Kane will be one. Yeah, we have Grealish, who pretty much set up the goal yeah. and Sterling to score it. I'd say they had a good day. Yeah, certainly. And then Andre Yarmolenko and Roman Yerminchek up front. Sweden, Robin Olsen's in goal. They're playing old school four four two with two straight lines of four. Mikael Lustig is the right back. Lindelof and Danielson, the center backs, and Ludwig Augustinsson is the left back. Sebastian Larsson's the right-sided midfielder. The double uh, pivot in midfield, Christopher Olsen and Albin Ekdal with Emil Forsberg playing down the left. Alexander Izak and Dejan Dejan Kuvalevsky up front. So we see Kuvalevsky inserted here. Um, another good game from Forsberg too. I, I'm a I mean, huge fan of this guy. Yeah, and uh, he uh, James had said this earlier. I waited to put it on the screen. Let me pull up his. He makes a point here where he says if if Forsberg just finishes a smidge better instead of hitting the woodwork twice, yeah. they win in ninety. Absolutely. 
Yep, and that and the controversy never happens if we never go to extra time. Um, yeah. but again, these matches are decided with these tiny details, hmm. and and I mean, you know, you could say the same because the Ukraine hit the woodwork sure. as well. I mean, yeah, sure. I would say it was a much more open game than I expected. You know, yeah. we talked about this yesterday that you have this fantastic defensive tactical display from sweden in the group stage mm-hmm. and then it seemed to just go out the window i mean yeah pretty much from the first whistle it was attack both sides and we talked about yesterday how these teams aren't that accustomed to going into these later stages and yep. we didn't know how they would react so they reacted by playing more open ironically which you would mm-hmm. expect the opposite You'd expect nerves and you'd expect them to play a little bit more pragmatically and say, all right, let's not concede and let's get towards, you know, the the second third of the match before we start to really take any chances. But they come out. Zinchenko scores a nice brace right in the 27th minute. And that one shocked me a little bit because I wasn't expecting Ukraine to get on the front foot. Like I said, I trusted Sweden more. I think we Mm -hmm. agreed on that yesterday. But. In the end, they fall behind uh, only for about only for about 15 minutes, but they do fall behind. Forsberg levels in the 43rd, and then we go extra time, as we know, and we have the key controversy, the red card that we started off the show talking about. Again, I think we've we've kind of covered that from everywhere we can. Um, the referee again, once he goes to the screen, there's no way you watching that in slow motion and not showing a red card. Like yeah. you said, I think he'd be absolutely run out of out of the tournament if he didn't. Um, mm. His hands are kind of tied in in the fact that the VAR official had him look at it. So, yeah, hundred percent. But get one hundred and twentieth minute plus one, Dovbik gets the winner, and it was a sh- a shocker really because both teams were ready for penalty kicks. Sevchenko is is got the the pad of paper out figuring out which five are going to shoot in what order and all of a sudden looks up and sees that his team have scored and the ukraine win their first ever knockout match so yesterday we had switzerland win their first knockout match since 1938 i mean i told my son that last night (laughs) my five-year-old and he goes Oh, how old are they? I go, no, not these guys. <laughs> the country, but yeah. um, and then today we get the Ukraine to win their first ever knockout uh, match. So uh, we have a few a few surprises in the quarterfinals, to say the yeah. least. I mean, there you know, and there's always going to be is fantastic for them uh, to get through. And I think what's great about the Ukraine though is that even even though we were touting uh you know sweden is the probable mm-hmm. victors here yesterday we were saying you know i can see a world where either win sure. um the ukraine showed a lot of fight and the group stage and they showed that they do have you know great ability and they do have some fantastic players i mean you're really um you know they have they have a lot of ability on their squad and something about the <clears throat> pardon me something about the eastern block i mean yeah that they have such a drive that like you know, a never say die type of attitude that you see mm-hmm. a lot of other teams when they go down, uh, you know, or, or they let in a bad equalizer or something like that. They just mm-hmm. deflate. Um, you know, we saw that very, very much with France. Uh, I just think not to get back on that horse, but I think that, you know, it's fantastic to see the fight in these teams. It's fantastic to see yeah. what 
these guys are doing, you know, with their backs against the wall. And I think the group stage was, you know, as all group stages are, they're just playing to get through to the next round. But this round of 16 has been, after the first two uh, days of games, has been fantastic. Yeah, no doubt. What's what's real fun, too, about a team like the Ukraine is there's not many household names in this team. So no. that's another reason we we kind of don't rate them all the time, maybe where we should, because we're not as familiar with these players. It's 2014. It's impossible to keep yeah. up with every single team. Um, there's yeah, I mean, not I'd, that I'd, Sweden I'd... is loaded with household names either, but there's a few and, more of them there. Yeah, yeah. And I would say I would say probably about the same in reality. I mean, you know, Zinchenko obviously and Yarmolenko for sure, yeah. but you know, I think I think passionate soccer fans would know your i'm check and mm-hmm. uh but yeah i mean you know and and like a household name i think for the most part is seb larson but he's also been with you know the swedish national team for what seems like you know 15 yeah. years now he's not yeah. exactly a young man and emil forsberg very much 36 years so, old yeah yeah so you know i think that's the good thing about this uh, Ukrainian team is that they're relatively young, um, mm-hmm. but also they're just, I mean, they're clinical when they need to be. Right. Uh, I was impressed with what they did. I did not see that coming after the equalizer for Sweden. I thought Sweden had the upper hand in this one and, you know, run a play. They kind of did, but at the end of the day, all that matters is the final scoreline and yep. Ukraine made it count. Yeah, and, and hats off to them to to advance. Now they get a chance to play England. We looked at it from the other side. Now we look at Ukraine and how they're going to approach. They all the pressures on England, so the, that's the first thing they can come in feeling comfortable about. Yeah. Is England have to beat them the way the way that you know with public perception and um, they can be a bit more patient because what's going to happen is on this game. England are going to be expected to dictate the match more. Mm. I, I don't think they're going to, there's fans who tolerate them sitting back as much against the Ukraine, especially in a quarterfinal. Of course, they may do it anyway. <laughs> That's but. like one of my favorite things that it's just, again, it's so England is at Wembley. There has not been, you know, uh, there haven't been like great opportunities to be excited at Wembley, you know, in, on the international stage in so long. Right. And you have England fans booing yeah. the England players yeah. when they're being too defensive. And don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, we're all doing it at home as well, but it's just like England fans are so ruthless because they've had their hearts broken sure. so many times and in such stupid ways. And with this team selection that you see with Gareth Southgate, you know, I think a lot of people are just waiting for this implosion. And I mean, it's hilarious. Not even 10 minutes into the game, they're booing the yeah. English players being like, yeah. you know, move forward, please right. do something other than just sit on the ball. And I don't know how many will be in the stadium in Rome. They've had smaller crowds than, than London. Well, Eng- the and, English aren't allowed to travel. so Right. And, and there's a travel ban. So there. unless they're already in, in, yeah. uh, in Italy, and I'm sure there'll be a pocket of them, but. For the most part, it could be a quiet afternoon. So that might even work into England's favor a little more. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there'll be the exact same amount of Ukrainian fans as English Right, fans. exactly. So exactly. It'll be all fun. locals. So, yeah. I, but um, I would bet you that the locals will be 100% for Ukraine. The Ukraine, absolutely. Especially the way... Um, 
especially with well, we'll already know where Italy stands by the time England takes the pitch. Yeah, I mean, if but Italy if goes Italy's through, still in it and they're on a collision course for each other, they're going to really be behind the Ukraine. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, and it's really exciting, I think, for Italy because they're. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're talking the bajillion times harder side of the bracket. Yeah, but they're set up for a pretty solid run because, unfortunately, there have been you know those injuries to Belgium and Kevin De Bruyne. Even if he plays, is not a hundred percent. So, you know, you never hope for injuries, but that's pretty positive for the Italian hopes. And then they play a you know, very weak Spanish team mm-hmm. and, or By they play standards. a, yeah. you know, Cinderella story in Switzerland that mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. That's dangerous. But at the same time, you'd rather be playing Switzerland than playing, you know, the Netherlands or France or, or France. That's firing on all. Times. Yeah, exactly. Like, can you imagine you choose between Switzerland yeah. and France? It's like, yeah, Switzerland will have a lot of fight in them, but, but I'll take, I'll take that. 10 times day. out of 10, I'm taking the Swiss. Dave here says, I can't see England going with three central defenders in the next round. I don't see it either. I think that was specifically done to face Germany today and to cancel out Germany's attempt at trying to overload the flanks. Um, yeah, I mean, but also... Because the wingbacks were, were backs also. Yeah, I mean, they were just backs. Like, it yeah. wasn't really three at the back. It was five at the back. It was five. And, and any time that one of them went forward. The other one sat pretty deep mm-hmm. in terms of like, they'd push a little bit up the pitch, but it was nowhere near, you know, uh, considered attack. But I, right. I would in general agree, I think against the Ukrainians, it's not going to be the same formation. Although again, it's Gareth Southgate. It could be, <laughs> but you know, as we saw, he'll still have a double holding mid. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I just don't know what to think because of the fact that, the Netherlands beat the Ukraine pretty handily. I mean, yes, they let some goals back in, but the way you defeat the Ukraine mm-hmm. is the same way that you break down uh, the Czechs and the same way you, for the most part, break down the Germans, and that is pace on your wings. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened today. Look what happened when you had freaking Luke Shaw charging down the yeah. left wing behind Jack Grealish. Oh, look right. at that. No one covering And you. they combined. You know, it's like- and, and it happened twice. So I think... The logic says you play with, you know, a back three and wing backs and then have attacking midfielders Uh or you play with a more classic, you know, two central defenders, a right back and a left back that occasionally go forward, two holding midfielders and then pacey players on the wings. But Gareth Southgate refuses to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, don't get me wrong. Saka is very fast, but he can't be the only one. Otherwise, they know who to key in on. But it's like, unless he plays Saka and Sancho or Sancho and Rashford or, you know, one of those type of things. And I'm not saying get rid of Sterling, put him in the middle. Fine, do that. But I don't see him changing to that because it's been working the way he does it. But the Ukraine is going to sit deep. Oh, yeah. They're going to be very, very patient, very disciplined. They're not going forward like Germany did. No, no, they're not going to be left exposed. And um, they're going to they'll they will sit with five back if they have to. To, yeah. to make sure you don't get that overlap and don't get that service in. So yeah. I think it, it could be a very interesting matchup, and especially because so. England's getting out of the comfort of Wembley. Uh, weather could be, you know, it could be it could be much hotter in Rome as well, which mm-hmm. is something they'd have to deal with. The temperatures, for the most part, have been pretty comfortable in in London and in Glasgow. So, yeah. Um, it, not, yeah. yeah, I mean, 
I think that it's going to, again, like I have futures on England. I'll mm-hmm. probably put another one on now that they're through Germany because sure. I believe they're the best team left in this tournament. Mm-hmm. And they and should. The healthiest. Yeah, they should just roll straight through the Ukraine mm-hmm. and roll straight through either Denmark or the Czechs. There is an opportunity. There is a way I see the Ukraine, you know, making it interesting and definitely Denmark if they go through and maybe the Czechs as well. I don't Mm -hmm. see that as much, but yeah, definitely Denmark. But I just get this feeling like it's going to be the exact same setup and we're going to see them hold the ball behind their freaking in their own half Mm -hmm. and then try and dribble into trouble and create, you know, it's going to be the exact same game script we've seen for all four games. Mm-hmm. No matter the opponent, they do the same thing. They did it against Croatia, the Czechs, the Scots, and now the Germans. All four games, the exact same play style. Yeah. And it's worked, so why change it? And I don't see it changing, and I think they'll go through. But I don't think we'll see some kind of fireworks of like, you know, a, a 3-1 type of game or a 4-0. Or right. yeah, I don't see that, that. It'll be low and slow. And I am, I'm calling this right now. If you could put a prop on it, I would. I'll bet in some moment of insanity in the you know 77th minute Mm -hmm. that we're gonna see jude bellingham instead of Jaden sancho or you know marcus Mm -hmm. rashford we're going to see bellingham somehow get on the pitch over arguably you know top 100 world players sure yeah i can see that and and he'll say it's to solidify the midfield to to hold the result i'm not saying he's Uh, bad but i just Dave he refuses to play from behind. They have not played from behind yet. They have mm-hmm. not conceded yet. Um, they've got all clean sheets so far. So they have not trailed yet. So that could be also something that could become very interesting. Should yeah. they fall behind? How do they react? Do and they that's implode? A great, that's do a they... great um, point as well because we haven't seen them have to deal with any mm-hmm. sort of adversity yet. Right. But again, I mean, that's the way it's set up. Like the Ukraine, mm-hmm. again, should pose no problem. Right. The Danes or the Czechs should pose no problem. Italy is going to be their biggest matchup or Belgium if, you know, especially if Kevin De Bruyne is healthy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Ger- Germany were not able to put them in that situation today. And that was the most likely team in yeah. their path that would get to get a lead on them. And um, as you said, they should have. I mean, you know, should have. They didn't, they didn't 100% at a half that goal. Yeah. So I mean, that would have changed everything mm-hmm. about the game. But, you know, all right. Hey, so, fair play to them. I think I think they're gonna win it. I'm putting another future on it, another unit. I think they're plus 170 right now, which is insane value for a team that will not face serious competition till the final uh, outside yeah. of heart. So, you know. All right. So the quarterfinals are set. We yep. have Friday, Switzerland versus Spain. It's a noon Eastern time kickoff, nine Pacific. Um, then the late game is Belgium and Italy. And then Saturday, Czech Republic in the early game against Denmark and Ukraine, England in the late game. So we're coming down to about five more episodes of the of this Euro uh, podcast because there's not many match days it's wild, left. Right? It is wild. It has flown by. I did want to talk a little Copa America tonight. Tell um, me. Since the group stage concluded last night, we had Bolivia one, Argentina four, and Messi gets two goals in this one. What is one is a penalty, one is a, a chip. Um, you also, beautiful, 
Beautiful. Yep. You also get a goal from Alejandro Gomez and another one from Lautaro Martinez. All right. Um, Bolivia get a consolation goal, but they're done. Uh, by far the weakest team in the group. Hmm. And then Uruguay beat Paraguay 1-0. Their goal comes from Cavani from the penalty spot. So Copa America has their quarterfinals set up. So I'll just uh, read those off now that they have played this marathon group stage of where you play four matches to eliminate one team per group. <laughs> so four out of five teams in each group have advanced. So they start their quarterfinals on Friday as well. Literally, there are so it's like you got Euros at if we're on the east Eastern time, Euros at twelve, um, and at three, and then Copa America at five and at eight. So mm-hmm. we literally have eight hours of football on Friday. Um, Peru versus Paraguay in the first one, and then the hosts Brazil take on Chile. And then Saturday, Uruguay versus Colombia and Argentina versus Ecuador. So, I mean, for me, this is where the tournament starts for real. Yeah. Um, Venezuela and Bolivia have been have been eliminated. Brazil have to be heavy favorites playing at home and having the most informed team right now. Although they did just drop two points to Ecuador. Yeah. Um, but they were also ro- heavily rotated squad. They had won the previous three games, had already won mm-hmm. the group. Um, Argentina won their group, so Comunibal got what they wanted. Argentina and Brazil separated so that they potentially meet in the final. That's what a very CONCACAF-like approach. Um, yeah, that's what they wanted. <laughs> Big exactly. It's just like CONCACAF making sure the U.S. and Mexico don't meet before the final of any tournament. Yep. Okay, DJ's United says I don't really want to have this discussion about Messi versus Ronaldo. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's getting so old that, like, I don't know. I agree. It should. Well, here's where I I competition. Yeah, that's all. And there have been a lot more Copa Americas. Sometimes they play every two years. Sometimes it's every three. There was one where there was one in 2015, and then another in 2016, then another in 2019. So to to that extent, yes, I will agree with that. But I'm really tired of that argument, to be honest. It's it's we're going on what 10, 12 years of it. And yeah, I don't um, know. I mean, I I think he's right just because to win in Europe right. is I think he's correct. I think to win in Europe is so much harder than to win the Copa America, especially when you play for Argentina. An Argentina team that outside of Brazil, most of the time no one's even close to your class. Yeah, it's it's like, a big difference. Are you telling winning. me, you know, him scoring twice against Bolivia, like yeah. that's impressive? You know, Ronaldo mm-hmm. scoring, you know, against, now he's scored against Germany. He's scored In against France. France. He's scored, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, again, but that's also because I believe he's the greatest of all time. Yeah, so. I, and I agree with that. And it's just, there's a big difference between winning a Euro with Portugal, who yeah. are a small country, to winning a Copa America with Argentina, who are the second most successful team behind Uruguay in the history of the competition. Because this competition goes way back before Brazil was even a powerhouse. And hmm. Uruguay and Argentina won won a number of them before Brazil became a real player in the yeah. 1950s. So. You know, um, I, I don't get me wrong. I yeah. I believe Messi is 
Oh, yeah, he's I phenomenal. believe it's an argument. I believe yeah. it's an argument. Sure. But I'm just saying you can't compare the Copa America to the Euros. Like especially especially in this in this situation where you've got some teams completely depleted from from COVID. They've got entire reserve teams in yeah. there. You've got you know empty stadiums, and it's 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 a it's a tournament that was put on literally to pay off the TV rights that were purchased. That's the only well, reason and, they played this. And think about this as well is a way that you can tell going back to the level of competition is like how many South American teams are going far in the world cup every right. year, or every you know time they play. Not right. many. And usually no. it's Argentina or Brazil, or Brazil. one of them. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's all European teams. And as of late, they have not really, well, Argentina got to the final in 2014, but, um, and Brazil got to the semifinal. And got work. Yeah. But in 2018, they both went out fairly early. So and and didn't Argentina go out on like to to like who'd they go out to? Someone they went out to France. They went out to France. Was it France? Yeah, the Uh, last one. They were beaten like five to three. Yeah, France. Oh yeah, I remember that uh, that Pavard strike. Yeah, (laughs) but Um, but yeah, no, I just you can't really compare the two competitions. One's much better than the other. It's JV and varsity. Fair enough, but that doesn't mean that the Copa is not fantastic. Like right. I love the last couple of rounds of the Copa because right. you have the one thing I will say about Copa America versus the Euros is that it feels like, and way more often than not, every game is a rivalry. Yeah, all those countries fucking hate each other. Oh yeah, they want to beat each other. Obviously not like that. No, we talked about that. How the players yeah. are so friendly with each other, uh, regardless of what countries that that's not and the south american players all know each other too but when it's time to show up and play they have a different attitude mm. they put they put those friendships aside for those 90 minutes you know you see yeah. suarez and, and and you know uh angel gomez are not going to be talking just because they're atletico madrid teammates they're not going to be talking in the tunnel for 20 minutes uh-huh. before the match they're they're completely focused on what they have to do. Those like you said, those rivalries mean something. They run deep. And they run deep, and they don't. It doesn't matter if it's a Copa final, if it's a friendly. Argentina does not want to lose to Uruguay. Uruguay does not want to lose to Brazil. Brazil does not want to lose to Uruguay. Those three nations have such a rivalry, and yeah. they they don't want to give anything away. And it, they could it could be a pickup match in a in a park, and it's going to yeah. turn real for them. Um, and, and look at the way that, uh, you know, a great way you can tell that is after matches, they do not go and hug and kick it with each other for a while. The way right, you see right. in some of the Euro no, matches. They where usually like end by jamming. throwing punches, actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's exactly. a lot of bench clearing in, in South America. It, it ends in a much more uh, emotional, passionate ending. And, uh, you know, in this podcast, I've covered a lot of South American football because I've recognized there's not much of there's not many people talking South American football in English mm. out there. Yeah. So I saw the hey, here's a here's where I could maybe get an audience, or here's just what I want to talk about because uh, it's something different than the same five mm. or six teams winning all the time. Um, yeah. So it, it is fun to watch this because I'm familiar with some of these players that play in South America, but. Again, it, it is missing something. You can't you can't ignore the obvious. The tournament's missing people, and it feels like every other match we've seen in the last year and a half versus yeah. the Euro that feels like something special because we're getting crowds, even if they're not full. 
you know, even if they're a third, they sound like a crowd again. And in some mm. matches, we're getting full crowds, which is fantastic considering how long it's been. But I think it's set up pretty nicely for a Brazil versus Argentina final. Although Uruguay and Colombia stand in the way of that. They, they match up in the bracket with Argentina. So I expect Argentina to get by Ecuador. I expect Brazil to get by Chile. And Peru got to the final last time, but I don't see them uh, giving Brazil too hard of a time in the semifinal. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be an exciting last four. I think when, they, when you get there, it's going to have a new level to it. And, of course, they were smart. They're playing their semifinals Monday and Tuesday versus Tuesday, whereas the Euro is Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Copa America is playing their final on Saturday. So we'll have a Copa America final on a Saturday, the 10th. And mm. then on the 11th, we have the Euro final. So lots of football still to come. But, yeah, we're down to about five more five more episodes of this. Um, yeah. it's, been, it's been a blast, though. These Absolutely. These fly by. All right. You want to plug anything on the way out tonight? Hey, just keep listening to the pod and thanks for having me on. And I just, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how, how this turns out. I think Saturday and Friday are going to be very, very interesting. I hope at least. I agree. I definitely agree. And, um, yeah, so we will be back Friday. All right. There'll be nothing. I'm not going to do a preview show Thursday because we just previewed the quarterfinals. Essentially we've talked about each matchup as they've come along. So, um, we'll be back Friday night guys. Um, Friday and Saturday, and then we'll be at the semifinals at that point. Um, make sure you follow him. He's at Fade My Play. I'm at PTB underscore media. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and then hit the little bell there. Tap it so that uh, you can get an alert when we go live. Okay, and don't forget to check out the website, www.parkinthebusmedia.com. That's going to do it for this episode 59. We'll see you Friday. <laughs>
ataque Passa-me essa bola, marca um golo sem crack Fecha na claque, hoje é só loucura Vencemos o combate Isso aqui é futebol, fizemos com amor Sem raça, Eu tô aqui Com família, amigos A minha volta pra repetir 